For those of us remaining in the room, if you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. We're actually going to read verses 1 through 9. Romans chapter 8. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Holy God, you are awesome. You are good. And so we come before you thankful for this gift, the gift of your word. Your word that is poured out over your creation, poured out over us your word that reveals to us who you are and who we are in you. So we pray, gracious Father, that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. And then in response, O God, I ask that you would open our hands that we would offer grace to the world on your behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In preparation for uh, this morning's sermon, I had the, the overwhelming sense that God was actually just preaching to me. Uh, that doesn't always happen, but it happens often enough. This moment seemed particular and maybe particularly designed for me. So if, uh, if you're out there wondering what's going on in this preaching moment, God just has something for me, and, uh, and I hope that it resonates with some of you as well. But let me begin by this because it might help me in some way. So, so some of us in our vocations, in our professions, are more generalist, and some of us in our vocations, professions, are more specialist. If you would consider yourself, a, and, and now I'm just talking vocation, not in personal skill set. In vocation, are you more of a specialist or a generalist? If you're a specialist, would you raise your hand? 
If you're more of a generalist, would you raise your hand? And the rest of you are wondering, what the heck is he talking about? Uh, and, and, and for me, as a pastor, as a lead pastor, uh, a founding pastor, I would say that I'm absolutely more of a generalist, and I'm uh, more crafted, formed by God for the gift of generalist work, uh, being able to, to think in different uh, arenas and uh, to, to function uh, in a variety of different circumstances. Uh, one day, I'm wearing an HR hat, and I'm wearing a finance officer hat, and I'm wearing an executive hat. And that's just one day, right? And so you're just moving through the day, figuring out how am I functioning in each given moment. One of the skill sets that I find uh, particularly useful as a generalist is the skill set of being able to compartmentalize. To be able to compartmentalize from one activity to the next now, some of you might be able to think of that in more broad strokes. You think of that uh, with, with the ability to compartmentalize different uh, broad arenas of your life. Compartmentalize your work life, maybe from your home life, so that your home life isn't dominated by a reflection of your work, or so that your bad days at work don't create bad days at home. Can I get a witness? Or so that your good days at work aren't the only days that you get good days at home because we want more good days at home than good days at work. Amen? So actually, we would like both to be equal all. Uh, so, so whenever we have that broad stroke compartmentalism, uh, we could see why, uh, where it could be useful, how it could be helpful, and we also see the threat whenever uh, that, that gift is not being accessed. Um, but, but I also want to acknowledge that, that a full, full-blown compartmentalist, uh, a generalist who accesses that ability for, to compartmentalize, doesn't just do it in those broad realities, but is able to do it in the little moments of the day. And as a pastor, I see this often. So many pastors hear and experience and, and journey with the people of God, the flock that they're called a shepherd, and they carry everyone's burdens along with their own. And it can be so taxing. I mean, to, to, to know who is sick, who is, uh, who is without job, who is struggling uh, spiritually, who is, who is journeying towards Jesus, who is walking away from and rejecting Jesus. And over and over again, as you take every single one in the flock, if the pastor is not uh, able to compartmentalize, they carry all of that burden on them. And all too often, this is the reason why pastors burn out. Pastor burnout is a real thing, and it's a real threat, and part of that threat is all that pastors know about who you are and where you are in your journey of life and of faith. Well, for me, as, as a compartmentalist, uh, I, I've, I would be able to say that, okay, I'm able to, to journey into a hospital room and be fully present and fully engaged and empathetic and loving, and then when leaving that room, uh, not carry that burden with me, but go into the next room and the next and the next and the next. And not just a physical hospital, but a spiritual hospital where the priesthood of all believers are checked in. But there's also a real threat to compartmentalism. There's a real threat, not just to pastors, but for all of us. If we grow too uh, familiar with and comfortable with compartmentalization, we can also compartmentalize our faith from our life. We can compartmentalize our Sundays from our Saturdays. 
And all of a sudden, there is this tension, there's this dualism that's living in us and that we are living out in our day-to-day lives that, 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 that is uh, toxic and degrading to our capacity to follow Jesus fully. If it, it could be even more threatening than those broad strokes, the corporate uh, faith uh, practices and the personal walk it out, but it also can come into your day-to-day life. Are you able to compartmentalize your Bible study and your prayer time and then later on in that same day or maybe even moments later find yourself living as though you did not learn anything from your walk with God? If we, those of us who build skills in compartmentalization, if we compartmentalize God, our faith, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, such that we segregate our faith from our lives' practices, then we are in for trouble. We need to live a connected life. A life where the spirit of the living God is at work in us and through us throughout our day, throughout our journey, throughout our vocation, throughout our families, and not segregate it in a disconnected way. We must pursue a connected life. Years ago, maybe 15 years ago, uh, Pastor Rob Bell, who, who I'm not endorsing all of his work, but I, I know that this particular work had influence in my life about 15 years ago, uh, he put out a video, it was about an hour long, called Everything is Spiritual. And, and I was uh, astounded by it because it helped uh, confront me and my own tendency uh, of, of uh, disconnected living uh, uh, to, to aim at an understanding that Everything in life is indeed spiritual. And it was proved out in the way in which he drew down to the microscopic and drew up to the, uh, the, the galactic. And whenever he was doing so, he was highlighting how intricately every detail was accounted for in a spiritual fashion. I mean, think about it. We have internalists that, not only, uh, that, that can not only see what's happening on the outside of our bodies, but they're able to see what's happening on the inside of our bodies. And then there, we have people that then are able to analyze things at a cellular level. And even beyond that, we are working to understand the fabric of our existence, our DNA, and trying to, uh, to replicate DNA and repair DNA. Think about how granular that is. But at every time we've gone more minute, every time we've gone more to the granular, we've realized how complex, how intricate, how beautiful, and indeed how spiritually we were made. It is a scientific impossibility, statistical anomaly to be able to consider that we were not made by a creator with a purpose. Everything all the way into the granular reveals to us that we were spiritually made. 
But then it also goes to the galactic. Uh, whenever you think about the relationship between the earth and the sun, the, the tilt, the rotation, uh, where we fit not only within, uh, within relationship to the sun, but within relationship to the other planets uh, and, and, the continued, uh, and the continued revolution around the sun, how we fit into the galaxy, all of those things uh, to an extraordinary, uh, expansive level reveal to us how precise and how perfect and how glorious it is that we have been positioned, placed for a purpose by a God who desired us to be, created us spiritually. And, and so whenever you see that, that there is nothing that we can encounter, no matter how small or how grand it is, that doesn't have a spiritual component, that wasn't indeed a part of God's activity and creation, then all of a sudden we wonder, well, how could I live a disconnected life? Every single thing that I do, everywhere that I go, everything that I encounter is indeed of God. So if that is of God, how can I pretend as though my life in God is separate from the things that God has created? Everything we do, everything we say is to be integrated together, brought into holy connection. And that is a threat for me and for you, for us, particularly those of us who have the capacity to compartmentalize. And if we want to see how we could, uh, how we could uh, work towards faithfulness, a faithful pursuit of God in this, I think Romans 8 uh, and this verses 1 through 9, actually the entirety of Romans 8, fantastic chapter of scripture. You could spend an entire year of devotion learning and gleaning from what God reveals to us in Romans 8. We're just going to deal with these first nine verses, and we're actually going to walk through them in a rather methodical fashion. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn with me there. If not, you could pull your phones out as we journey through this Romans 8, 1 through 9, because this will help coach us, lead us to connected living. Uh, the first for us comes to us uh, in Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that is good news. There is no condemnation. Did you hear that? No condemnation. I think that that is exceptional news because I know who I am and what I've done. And in that, I believe I am fully worthy of condemnation on my own merit. I am unworthy. I'm unworthy of God and fully worthy of condemnation. And so to hear this good news that there is no condemnation actually flips everything on its head for me and makes me wonder, how is this possible? I need that. I, I crave that. I, I want to pursue that. So I continue on and I dive deeply into it. And it says, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that is a condition. That statement is not universal. It is not, there is no condemnation, period. Do you see where the period falls in that sentence? It's not after the word condemnation. It continues on. And it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And so I, I feel like uh, this, is, this is a natural assumption that, that doesn't need to be spoken, but the reality is our culture in the world around us tries to teach us something contrary to what I'm about to say, so I must state these two assumptions. The first is this, that some are not in Christ Jesus, maybe even many or most that there are some in Christ Jesus, and if there are some in Christ Jesus, there are also those that are not in Christ Jesus. And so uh, that, that, that is a truth, a reality, that there are those that profess that they are devoted to the lordship and saving grace of Jesus Christ, and then there are those that are not. But here's the second, the second assumption of this statement, that there is condemnation just condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. Now, there is no pleasure or joy in me saying that or in anyone saying that, but it is true. On our own merits, outside of Christ Jesus, there is condemnation, and that is just and well-deserved because we know who we are outside of Christ Jesus as well. And so we come to this in a spirit of humility and in a, in a clarity of need and vulnerability that each of us have. And we hear these opening words with encouragement and hope and desire. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, let it be so for me. Let me be in Christ Jesus. And then it, it, it rationalizes that. In verse 2, it turns for us our attention so that we can understand how this is made possible. It says, because. If you, if you have your Bibles, underline that word for in verse 1 and underline that word because in verse 2. For those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So I'm going to work this verse backwards. So there, there, is, there is a, uh, a law of sin and death that holds us in bondage because we are made free from it. So we first must be confronted with the reality of the law of sin and death. What is this referring to? This is referring to uh, the reality that God gave us, the people of the earth, law. In the Torah, in the first five books of Scripture, there are 613 laws. 613 laws in the first five books of the Bible. Now, these were given by God to God's people as instruction of how to live faithfully in pursuit and obedience to God. How can we walk towards God even though we are frail in our own free will? And God said, here are 613 ways that you can obey. Now, what do we know from Scripture? That journey of the Old Testament, the ark, the meta-narrative of Scripture, is that there were none, not one, zero on earth who were ever able to fulfill all 613 laws for the entirety of their lives. Their flesh overwhelmed their will, their, their own personal desires kept them from being faithful to God's law and achieving righteousness. 
on their own part, they were unrighteous. And we could relate to that. I mean, I hope that, that, that each of you try to, to pursue faithfulness to God's commands. But the reality is, no matter how we uh, pursue God's commands, whether it's just the 613 in the Torah or Jesus' uh, fulfillment of the law and his articulation of how we are to be obedient, we each fail and fall short, which means, which means that you and I are, by our own strength in the law, condemned to death through sin. And that's why Paul describes this as the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. It is the law of sin and death because it inevitably and every time ends up in failure thus ending up in condemnation, thus ending up in death. So, but, it, but it doesn't leave us hanging with the law of sin and death. You heard in verse 2, that's what we're, we're made free from, set free from. And how are we set free from that? It's because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life and has set you free. That when we are in Christ, the spirit of the living God then comes and dwells in us. And when we have the spirit of God dwelling in us, we then experience freedom. The spirit of God is the chain breaker. It's what breaks the bonds of sin and death. This is the good news of the gospel. While once we were bound to our sin, condemned to death, then in Christ Jesus we have received his free gift of salvation. What an extraordinary thing. In verse 3, it, it continues on and, and articulates how that law of sin and death uh, is rightly named for what the law was powerless to do because of the weakness of the flesh. Remember, we are, were too weak to fulfill the law on our own. But then it instructs us how God brought forth this law of the Spirit. So the second half of verse 3, I hope you're with me there. It says, God did this by sending his own son in the likeness, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. I'm going to stop there. We're going to come back to the end of that verse 3. That God sent his own son. His own son, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We said in the Apostles' Creed that we believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, fully human but, but here's the, the, the unique articulation, the way that Paul puts it for us. He says that when God sent his own son, he did so by making him in the likeness of sinful flesh. So for what you and me is our weakness, our flesh, Jesus came took on that sinful flesh and through his faithful obedience and righteousness, redeemed it. He redeemed his flesh and our flesh through his righteousness. 
And God did this so that he condemned sin in the flesh. He didn't condemn you. He didn't condemn me. He actually condemned sin. You've heard it spoken of that Jesus conquered sin and death. This is how he conquered sin. By taking on sinful flesh and defeating it through his own godly righteousness and allowing that to be a sacrifice for all of humankind, we now have salvation available in him. Verse 4 continues, uh, it says, in order. I hope that you'd also underline that, in order. God didn't just uh, defeat, condemn sin uh, for no reason. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. We'll get to that part in a second. The law requires righteousness. The law requires obedience to God's commands. And whenever God, through Jesus, condemned sin in his flesh, his human flesh, the law's righteousness was required. So whenever we now pursue the law, we don't do it by our own strength or by our own righteousness, but we take on the righteousness of Christ. You and I are made righteous, not by our own strength, but by what God does in us through the righteousness of his son. And this law is fully met in us. And then here are, here's where it turns to instructive not just theological. And if, you're, if you've been wondering where the how-to is coming, this is where Paul turns that for us, beginning at the back end of verse 4 and then continuing on through this passage. It's met in us, back end of verse 4, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is beginning to set up for us this choice that we have. We could live in the flesh or we could live in the spirit. This choice is not afforded to us if we are not in Christ Jesus. But when we are in Christ Jesus, we then on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis are living in this choice. Will I live in the flesh according to its desires or will I live according to to the Spirit. And then here's a way that it frames up for us in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It continues on, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, the end of that, that is exactly what we're looking to pursue. At the beginning, we started with understanding that there is no condemnation, and then we understood that there is freedom. And then here at the end of verse 6, we see that there is life and peace available for us. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's not a summary about what we are desiring, what what the deepest uh, echoes of our soul are yearning for, I don't know what is. No condemnation, freedom, life, peace. 
So how do we receive that life and that peace? It says that you and I have a choice. Where do we set our minds? That there are two sets of desires, our own desires and God's desires. And and one of our prayers could very simply be, Lord, let my desires be your desire. Let me not desire after anything that is not of you. Lord, I want nothing more than to seek what you seek, to do what you do, to desire after what you desire. This is my heart. And if that's not just just a a daily prayer, but a momentary prayer that's spoken over and over again, Lord, I seek after you. Let me desire after you. I give my life to you. I give this moment to you. If it became a part of who we were, who we are on a day-to-day basis, we would see victory in this battle because we will have We will have something to desire. Our life will have something to worship. And will it be that of the flesh or that of the spirit? Uh, I'm kind of uh, infamous in my household for singing a song in the mornings. Uh, It's an old uh, black gospel song that I uh, heard in churches in my teenage years and then have just had it echo through my life and my soul. It says, I woke up this morning with my mind. I'm not singing for all of you right now. Uh, I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on Jesus. I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on Jesus. Jesus, but it doesn't stop there because it understands that if it's just a morning prayer, it's not enough. It then says, I'm walking and talking with my mind stayed on Jesus. I'm singing and praising with my mind stayed on Jesus. This is directly from God's word in Romans chapter 8 verse 5. It's saying that I'm choosing to operate my life fixated, focused, entirely devoted with my mind, stayed set on Jesus. This for us, sisters and brothers, is our task. It continues to describe this in this way. The mind governed by the flesh, this is verse 7, is hostile to God. Our desires on our own, not aligned with God's desires, are hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. There's nothing about God's command instruction that is of the flesh, the flesh desire. Now, that's instructive for us because there are times in our lives where our flesh desires, hold on, where our desires, not our flesh's desires, our desires are aligned with God's desires, and that is the pursuit of a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is following after the master, the teacher, and in so doing, they are aligning their life to the master's life. They are walking after, seeking after their life, being a reflection of the master's life. So if we're disciples of Jesus, we are making our lives look like Jesus. And the first step to do that is to make our desires look like Jesus' desires. 
So that's actually a good thing. Whenever your internal desire looks like Jesus' desire, you could say, I am following Jesus faithfully. This is our heart. But when our flesh is winning the battle, we are hostile to God and we uh, do not submit to God's law. And then it says this in verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It's of our own desires, our own flesh. It cannot please God. And then it says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. That's you, you and I, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. Anyone that offers their life to Jesus, we no longer live in the realm of the flesh. We live in the realm of the Spirit. And the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. The Spirit of God lives in you. This reflects to me uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Those will come up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, oftentimes that particular passage, 1 Corinthians 3.16, is, is used as a way to teach us against gluttony or teach us against sloth and, and to help us also avoid uh, abuses of addiction that would degrade our bodies, our temples. But it, it says so much more than that, and it connects deeply with Romans 8, 8 and 9. It shows us that our bodies are a temple, meaning that in us there will be something on the throne. In you and in me, there's something seated on the throne. After all, your body is a temple. And so the question is, what will be seated on the throne? Will it be the desires of our flesh or will it be the spirit of the living God? Spirit, fall afresh on me. Holy Spirit, come and live in me. Holy Spirit, come and dwell in me such that I operate out of the Spirit's desires, not out of my flesh desires. We need to live a connected life, an integrated life, so that there is no compartmentalization other than the fact that we can operate in life from one thing to another, but we must always know that the compartment that we are in is rooted and placed squarely in Jesus. God must be the king over it all so that we don't live disconnected, but we live fully connected to the one who loves and saves and equips us to walk this out in life. Let this be our heart's desire, our life's de desire, every moment of every day. Lord, I desire to live in you, where you are seated on the throne of my heart. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you. Uh, we need you to come and take uh, your seat upon the throne in our lives. Lord, of our own strength, of our own will, we are worthy of that condemnation. But Lord, through your Son, Jesus Christ, we come before you and we approach you, uh, not based on our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, Lord, we need you. This battle we feel
pulling at the threads of our very existence day by day, moment by moment. So stitch us together so that our lives might be fully connected to the work of your spirit in us and amongst us. Lord, I want to desire nothing but you. Lord, align my desires to your desires so that that, that this is no longer a battle, but it becomes natural and I move and grow in it each and every day, moment by moment. Lord, help me to seek you. Lord, I don't want to just wake up wake up in the morning with my mind on you. I want to walk and talk and live and breathe and have my existence with my mind focused solely and fully on you. Lord, we need that. Equip us for this faithful task. Let us pursue you and pursue this holy calling faithfully. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, Lord, I ask that you would bless these gifts that you would multiply the effect and impact of these gifts in the world around us in the ministry that we share in here at Covenant. Lord, be glorified through them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.